You ever had a season in life in which you feel entirely wiped out? Maybe you feel like you've lost your mind, you've lost control of yourself, and you thought, man, how did I even get here? The important thing is to recognize the crazy season for what it is, a life lesson that you do not want to repeat, and an opportunity to hear from God. Yeah. 
Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left the crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Sin had left the crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. together. Jesus, uh, we just come to you this morning um, to press into you in this service. There's so many things that are going on right now that are, are confusing, that are difficult. We're at this place where there's a vaccine that's coming out soonish, but there's also this time that we've been stuck inside for so long. We've been stuck without our communities. And we're in this middle place, God. Um, and we just declare this morning that you are the God of the middle. You are the God of the in-between. 
that in the places that are hard and difficult and where we're not at the beginning or at the end of it, that you, you're in the middle part where, and you hold it all together. And so we just come to you this morning to lean into you, Jesus. And we say that you are greater, God, than he who is in the world. That you are greater in us and that you hold us together, you hold our lives together, and that we can lean into that and just release it all to you, Jesus. We thank you, God, for this church and for this community and this service this morning. And I just pray that it would speak and minister to everybody in the church community and that we would be able to trust and just put our hope in you that you hold everything together, Jesus. Amen. In 2020, Jesus has revealed that through staying rooted in the promises of scripture and time spent in nature and prayer, I remain grounded, calm, thankful, and joyful in a time of uncertainty, volatility, and unrest. If 2020 were a headline, the headline that Christ gave us is, get comfortable with the uncomfortable. After 20 years in the army, my wife is retiring. After 15 years in criminal law, I'm moving on. We're packing up from Arizona and moving to Kirkland, Washington in the midst of a pandemic. And the best part is, I think it's just us being obedient to God. We feel a true calling to take our lives in a different direction, to serve Him, and specifically to serve those who are injured. And part of that is through my own recovery, which I found at Kalihia House while I was at Blue Water. In 2020, Jesus reminded me that His grace is sufficient for me, that His power is made perfect in my weakness. When I was scared to go to work in the hospital, to contract COVID or spread it to my family, Jesus gave me the armor of God. He gave me the shield of faith, the belt of truth, the sword of the spirit, and the helmet of salvation. I remain grounded, calm, thankful, and joyful in a time of uncertainty, volatility, and unrest. The best part is trying to help those heal on their way, trying to get through this world. And that has been perhaps the best gift that all of us have received. So. With that, let this light serve as a symbol that Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus truly is the light in the darkness. We light this as a symbol that Jesus is the light of the world. Good morning, Blue Water. We are in the midst of our Christmas season. And we celebrate Christmas in a variety of ways over a period of about four to five weeks. Uh, one way which we do that is through the adventure stories. And Advent is kind of a root of adventure. And all of us, the entire world was taken by surprise when God came into the world as a crying, vulnerable baby. Nobody expected that, nobody saw it coming, and since then we've all been on an adventure with Jesus. So uh, we're getting to hear from a couple of us around the community on the adventures that Jesus brought them on this past 2020. And would you take the time uh, during this Advent season to reflect on that? 
What adventure has Jesus brought you in? Another way in which we are celebrating Christmas this year is through a family movie night this evening, uh, hosted at Wellspring Church. Um, of course, everybody at Blue Water is family, so aunties, uncles, you are invited as well. We'll be watching Elf. And please, please, if you have not registered, uh, please register now so the team can know how best to socially distance the room. The next way in which we are celebrating Christmas is our 11th annual Christmas concert. This is where we make art, we share it, and we invite people in. The Christmas concert will be released next weekend. Uh, so would you consider making a thing of it? Maybe dress up, make some wassail, uh, hot cocoa, invite some family and friends to have a socially dis distanced watch party. One thing about this time of year is that people love to be invited to church and we want to be generous and make sure that they feel invited. Two weeks ago, I shared with you that our baby boy, Emmanuel, has come to us face to face. Uh, Johanna and Emmanuel and myself are doing well. We are in wonder and we are experiencing a new sort of waking experience. You know, not sleeping at night, you know, that's, that's a special feeling. Um, well, in addition to taking some time for paternity, I will be taking several months to go on a sabbatical. Uh, I've been with Blue Water, thankfully, serving, loving it for about 10 and a half years. This May will be 11 years. So I'll be taking some time to rejoice in the Lord, rest in the Lord, and do some creative things with Him. Uh, this Tuesday, we will be having a time of prayer to launch us into the sabbatical season. Uh, Julie and the intercessors will be hosting it. And I would love for anybody in the community to join us for that prayer time. Uh, if you cannot join this Tuesday from 7 to 8, no worries. Uh, even if you can't come to the party, it's nice to know that you are invited and you are invited. Uh, so we would love for you to be praying throughout the sabbatical. All right, uh, let's continue our worship with our offering. If you are new or visiting, please feel no obligation to give this morning, but consider this worship service our offering to you. If you would like to donate this morning, you can do that in two ways, on our website or via check. Uh, just send your check to our office. Kids, time to stand up and we will pray for you. Let's extend a hand of blessing. Oh, Father, we thank you for our children. We thank you for the wonder that they bring to our lives. We bless their time uh, with the joy of the season. Uh, Lord, may they rejoice in you. Uh, may they reflect on the adventure that you are bringing them on. Uh, you go with them always. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You ever had a season in life in which you felt just wiped out? You feel like maybe you've even lost your mind. You've lost control of yourself and you think, man, how did I even get here? And one of those seasons, uh, things maybe were really bad and maybe you even kind of felt like you deserved it a little bit. 
maybe you've had that kind of season, or maybe you're in that kind of season, or maybe someone you care about is in that kind of season. And what do you do when you are? An opportunity for deliverance from God will come. That is a scriptural fact. It will come for everyone, even for the undeserving. You need to just recognize the crazy season for what it is. A life lesson that you do not want to have to repeat. The message for the day is don't be bullheaded. Repeat after me. Don't be bullheaded. Thank you. It will make more sense momentarily. Perhaps the most arrogant guy I ever met was this fellow named Al. And when I met him, he was homeless and hungry, which you think would be very humbling. Al had fallen from on high. Uh, he was a, a gifted uh, high school student. He had uh, gotten into West Point. He was a cadet there at the military academy for the army. And then he got kicked out of West Point for insubordination. But he was a very smart guy. From there, he studied computer science, and he became a very successful software engineer. And then he got fired from his job for insubordination and got involved, got uh, troubled in his life through drugs and what you might call carousing. And when I met him, he was homeless on the street. At first, he didn't care for me very much. Uh, I was living in a community house uh, in uh, a rugged part of town. and. Uh, I was doing some uh, soup kitchen feeding out of the back of my pickup truck and uh, offered him some food and he snapped at me, didn't want any, tried to put me in my place. And then a couple weeks later, he showed up at the door of my house because everybody in that area of the city knew where we lived and, and uh, said, look, man, I'm hungry. I need some food. And I knew that was kind of a, a humbling experience. Uh, so we fed him, and we sort of uh, brought him into our house, into our community house, gave him a place to live, cleaned him up, got him healthy, gave him some clothes. Uh, he started interviewing for some part-time work, uh, got a little money in his pocket, and we thought we were doing a great thing for Al, giving him another, another opportunity. We thought he needed another chance, uh, another opportunity uh, to restore uh, his life, and that the dismal experience that he had been through uh, would motivate him to change. Because obviously that's how things were supposed to work. And this did not work at all. In fact, we were dumbstruck from what happened. We started hearing that he was getting into trouble on the street again. And I sat down with him one evening and said, hey, Al, you know, what, what's going on? Things seem to be going well, but... You but I hear that you're getting back into trouble. And he said, yeah, you know, I've gotten cleaned up. I've got a little money in my pocket. I've got some decent clothes. Uh, so now it's really easy for me to get into the parties. And uh, there were a lot of uh, prostitutes in that area of town. And he said, yeah, they really like me now. I'm getting a lot of freebies. And he was really excited about his new life. We were just crestfallen. We had a house meeting, me and the other guys that ministered in the community house. We sat him down again and said, look, you know, we didn't sacrifice for you. We didn't do all of this for you so that you could go back out and just get into trouble in the same way. And he just exploded at us. I remember him saying, I know who I am. 
and you guys can't lord it over me. He chastised us for being judgmental and superior in our attitude. Well, the situation didn't last very long. He did get into trouble, and last I heard, Al had been thrown into prison. It was an iconic experience for me. Uh, I was fairly young, and I never quite met a guy quite like Al. And I remember formulating a question as I processed the experience. I said to myself, is it better to conceive of yourself as a king who has fallen on hard times or as a fool who has gotten a few good breaks in life? What's the most helpful way to conceive of yourself? In some ways, I still take that as an open question today. We are in a sermon series on the book of Daniel. We are in Daniel chapter 4 today. Just a little preview of how I'm going to do the next few weeks. We're going to take a look at Daniel chapter 4 today. Next week's Sunday service is going to be the release of the Christmas concert video. Uh, so it will be a very special, oh, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be a very special service, uh, sort of a timeout from the sermon series on Daniel and a more artful celebration of the season. And then the Sunday after that, which is December 27th, a couple days past Christmas, we're gonna be skipping ahead to Daniel chapter nine, which is a very famous prophecy about Christ. And we're just gonna be looking at uh, the Christ of the ages, so to speak. That's how it's gonna go. But today, Daniel chapter four, which is a story about King Nebuchadnezzar. It's a story about King Nebuchadnezzar's crazy season where he literally loses his mind. He falls from a great height. He goes mad. Throughout history, quite a few kings have gone mad. It's kind of a familiar story. Several years ago, there was this movie, The Madness of King George, which was based on a play. King George III, who was the king in Britain during the American Revolution, famously had bouts of insanity during his life. And there's a lot of speculation as to what uh, his actual diagnosis uh, should be. In literature, you might think of King Lear, anyway, Shakespearean, Antonio left, but he would, he would understand my theater allusions. King Lear in the story, if you know it, the tragedy uh, goes mad because of what you might call family stress, uh, I guess. And here you have a famous story of King Nebuchadnezzar uh, going mad. Daniel chapter four, is a chapter uh, that is written largely by King Nebuchadnezzar himself, uh, which is really fascinating that he should get uh, a chapter uh, in the Bible. Uh, the chapter opens, verses 1 or 2, from King Nebuchadnezzar, to the peoples, nations, and men of every language who live in the world, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. That's the introduction to Daniel chapter 4. Uh, and so we learn right away that Nebuchadnezzar has apparently had some sort of experience with God, and it has brought some change into his life. So the story goes like this. It's kind of a long story. Chapter 4 is a very long chapter, so I will summarize and read some excerpts from it. What happens is that Nebuchadnezzar has another dream. We read about him having a dream a couple chapters before this. Now he's had another prophetic dream, and he calls Daniel in to uh, interpret it because 
he, like everyone else, has learned that Daniel is fantastic at interpreting dreams. So I'm going to read chapter 4, 9 through 16. Uh, uh, it kind of tells the dream and how Daniel figures into it. This is Nebuchadnezzar speaking. I said, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians. Belteshazzar is the name that the Babylonians have given to Daniel. So Daniel, chief of the wise men, would be another interpretation, another translation. I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Notice the plural there. Um, this point in the story, Nebuchadnezzar quite hasn't learned that there is a most high God. And no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream. Interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in my bed. I looked and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the beasts of the field found shelter and the birds of the air lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. Quite a tree. In the visions I saw while lying in my bed, I looked and there before me was a messenger. Uh, literally, you could translate that a watcher. A holy one coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground, in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. So he's calling the tree a him. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. Seven units of time. So that's the dream. Uh, and uh, Daniel listens to it. And then Daniel, true to form, dutifully interprets the dream, picking up the story in verse uh, 22. <clears throat> you, O king, are the tree, Daniel says. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to the distant parts of the earth. Okay, so the tree represents Nebuchadnezzar and his fabulous power and kingdom. You, O king, saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live like the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. So this is the interpretation, O king. And this is the decree the Most High has issued against my lord, the king. You will be driven away from people and you will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you 
when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be then that your prosperity will continue. So very straightforward interpretation. He says, well, you're like the tree, Nebuchadnezzar, and God is telling you that he is going to take you out, man. He's going to cut you down. God is merciful, though. So he's going to leave a stump and your roots. He's not going to take your life. He's going to actually protect it. He's going to, he's going to bind it with iron so that it stays strong and safe. So you can be restored when you acknowledge God in heaven. Pretty straightforward dream. And, uh, and you would think that Nebuchadnezzar would be able to understand it. I'm sure he acknowledged it. I'm sure he listened and then it made sense to him at the time. <clears throat> and Nebuchadnezzar respects Daniel at this point in the story. Daniel is a, a chief of the wise men. Of course, you'll remember the story uh, from a couple chapters ago where Daniel interprets uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream and saves a lot of the bureaucrats in the kingdom. You also might remember that in chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar had, respect, had expressed some respect toward the one true God in the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. When Nebuchadnezzar sees an angel in there with him, he said, oh, praise these guys as God. Um, there's something special going on here. Nevertheless, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't really respect the truth uh, in the dream that he has had very well. And as a result, Nebuchadnezzar gets stumped in life. He gets stumped. I'm not sure that's where that phrase comes from, but it should be. Nebuchadnezzar gets totally stumped. You ever been stumped in life? Nebuchadnezzar, he gets, he gets stumped. So I'll pick it up in verse 29. Uh, read to verse 32. Twelve months later, maybe... 12 months had passed. He had forgotten the dream. He had started to feel a little too comfortable. 12 months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as my royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Yeah, that's a safe thing to say. The words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from the people and you will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. And immediately, that's exactly what happens. Nebuchadnezzar goes insane for a while. Uh, he was driven away from people, it says, and he ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with dew until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. Isn't that a great image? He went so crazy. He got so weird. He got so sick uh, that people just kind of drove him right out of the city. What an incredible story. There's actually a, a, a psychological disease called uh, boanthropy. Boanthropy. You can look it up. It, it is a, a condition wherein 
people think they are cows or oxen. So evidently, he's not the only case of this happening, uh, but he's the most famous case. I, I read about him thinking, like, acting like he's, he's a, a cow or a bull, and it occurs to me that the Babylonians worshipped uh, uh, quite famously, everybody in that region worshipped uh, false gods in the shape of bulls. You might have seen representation of these winged bulls or the golden calf or the golden cow that the Israelites infamously uh, worshipped um, at the foot of, of Mount Sinai. So, you know, there's some very literary, symbolic thing happening here. Nebuchadnezzar thinks he's godlike, and so he assumes the image of the false gods he worshipped, only, of course, that image is quite debased. If you really want to worship a cow, how about you think you're a cow? And you go out into the fields, you wander the heath, as Shakespeare said, and uh, eat grass and grow your hair and grow your nails, um, and uh, not cool. True to the dream, though, uh, Nebuchadnezzar gets restored. It says seven times would pass. Sometimes that's translated as seven years. Literally, it just means seven units, seven times. So who knows, seven years, seven months. But a, a, a fairly long time uh, this episode takes place. Uh, and then we pick up the story in, chapter, in verse 34. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven. And I just love it that it's a first-person account. You know, I love it that they took from Nebuchadnezzar's journal. Nebuchadnezzar cared enough about this that he wrote it down and he put it into the chronicles of the Babylonian library. I just think that's really cool. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. Interesting phrase. The Lord returns Nebuchadnezzar's splendor and glory for the kingdom because he cared for the kingdom. He wanted some stability in Babylon. He has plans even there. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right, even if he drives you crazy. And all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Oh yeah, baby. So in the end, Nebuchadnezzar, he, I mean, he declares for God, doesn't he? It's like the craziest salvation story you've ever heard. One immediate takeaway from the story is that God is perfectly capable of representing himself even in the midst of Babylon, right? God does this thing, and Daniel is just kind of a willing party to the 
narrative of glory in Daniel chapter 4. And a great narrative that it is. There's a few point, few points I'd like to make about the story today as I reflect upon it. A very familiar story to me and probably to many of you as well. Some things for you to think about. The first thing I always think about <clears throat> when I read this story is that Nebuchadnezzar is one of the most wicked, one of the most violent kings in all recorded history. This was a bad person. The courts of Babylon, the rulers of Babylon, were famous for torturing people for sport. They would bring prisoners of war in the courts of Babylon. They sit them before the king. And uh, one account tells of how they would, uh, they would prop up spear points. And then they would suspend prisoners above the, spe above the spears and then slowly impale them on the spears with their own body weight so they would die slowly screaming in front of them and that was entertainment that was a good saturday night for king nebuchadnezzar this is how he got his jollies by this point in his career uh this point in the story he had already wiped out tens of thousands of people in his conquering he had already wiped out thousands and thousands of families. He had already obliterated many cultures. Uh, he had already destroyed nations. This was a destructive person. Yet, this is the second prophetic dream that God has given him so far in the book of Daniel. The Lord continues to speak to him. God attends to him closely you know, Nebuchadnezzar is on God's mind and not just in a nasty sort of way. God continues to speak to him about his own salvation. It's almost as if God loves him. It's a love that requires tough expressions, as we see in Daniel chapter 4, but we can see the mercy in it. God is treating with this evil, evil man with a certain sort of tenderness. And that just blows my mind, you know? If it helps you, when you think of, think of King Nebuchadnezzar, think of someone like Adolf Hitler. Think of someone like Joseph Stalin. This was a bad dude. And we're getting stories about how God insinuates his testimony into his life. There was every reason for God, and, and for Daniel, uh, for that matter, to disrespect Nebuchadnezzar to speak curses about him, to dismiss him, to refuse to honor him at the very least. But that's not what they do in the story. In fact, they honor him greatly. They honor him to the point of love and salvation. I often say uh, when I do uh, workshops about prophecy or workshop about dreams, God gave prophetic dreams even to Nebuchadnezzar, who was the most wicked king in history, do you not think God is speaking to you, right? Are you, are you so bad that God's not speaking to you? Is there something about you that makes you so you know, untouchable that the God of heaven cannot speak to you? No. God is speaking to you, whoever you are. You're out there listening today. Fact, the Lord of heaven is speaking to you. He's giving you dreams or somebody is delivering messages to you that in some way strike your heart, you can kind of feel the life in the words somehow, God is speaking to you. Your only job is to listen. 
Your only job is to pay attention. We worship the God who speaks, and he speaks to everyone. Man, if he speaks to Nebuchadnezzar, he speaks even to you. Uh, you might need help understanding what he's telling you because maybe you're not very good at understanding God yet. That could be a thing. Uh, but still, he's speaking to you. Figure it out. There is an opportunity for you with God. He is providing you open doors to heaven. Mind-blowing, that fact. Uh, the second point uh, I'd like to make about the story is that I just think the amplitudes of the story are very encouraging. You can never be so high that you can't be brought low. You can never be so low that God cannot restore you entirely. You can never be so wicked that God can't contrive to redeem you. This is a story of great extremes, and within those extremes, we can all find room for our own story, can't we? Uh, you might be stumped in life right now. Anybody? You may just feel stumped in life, you know, sort of dead-ended. You might feel stumped in life right now. It's been a crazy season, hasn't it? In a lot of different ways. So you might feel stumped. But even now, the Lord has preserved something deeply rooted in you. He has bound and protected parts of you that are vital to him. You might even feel it there, as bad as your life might be, as bad as you might be right now. Maybe if you reflect for a moment, you can feel the deep rootedness of God in your soul. A little mystical, to put it that way but we are spiritual creatures. Maybe you note a deeply rooted desire for true life and it's still bubbling up in you. Um, there is never a need to be stumped forever. Being stumped is, uh, is not a permanent condition. Uh, and the third point, God will do what it takes to get through to you no matter who you are. You'd think Nebuchadnezzar would have learned to honor God by this point in the story, right? I mean, there's that whole miracle in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There's that whole other prophetic dream that he had where he called Daniel in, and Daniel was not only able to interpret the dream, but he knew what the dream was before Nebuchadnezzar told it to him. You would think that Nebuchadnezzar would have gotten it by now, uh, but he, he hadn't, so he needs to go through this crazy, dramatic episode. He's bullheaded, literally, right? Because in the dream, I mean, in the, uh, in the prophecy, we see that you know, he's sort of condemned to act like a cow, act like a bull, act like an ox. Um, <clears throat> God will do what it takes, and if you don't accept him the first time, he will keep at it. Um, maybe with greater drama. He will do what it takes to get through to you. But you can always shrug it off. You know, it's always our choice in the end whether or not to accept the overtures that the Lord makes to us. But for his part, God will stay at it. He will stay at you throughout your life. Which means uh, he will 
testify to you through others, you know, he will send a Daniel into your life or a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into your life, right? You will get testimonies from other people or two, he will maybe bless you encouragingly. He will give you gifts. He will give you might and power maybe or provision maybe. Uh, things that, uh, you know, you don't have a right to, but which come into your life anyway. Maybe you'd be tempted to say, oh, well, thank God for this. Well, that's a testimony from God for you. Maybe you should pay attention to those things. But failing that, he might thump you encouragingly, but, you know, he might give you a thump upside the head. He might give you a crazy season. It's like, well, you want to control your own life? Let me show you how out of control you can be. And that is a sort of testimony to you, that there is a higher wisdom from a higher God, and maybe you need to pay attention to it. But in all those instances and in all of those manners in which God might communicate to you, there will be an opportunity for your deliverance. There will be a doorway that the Lord is providing for you. Daniel says, when you acknowledge that God is higher than you are, when you lift your eyes to heaven, when you look to heaven, sanity will be restored. You know, whatever else the conditions in your life are like, your mind will clear. And that itself is a great blessing. Every drumbeat of your life, whether it's pleasant or difficult, is an opportunity to recognize that God is Lord. It's an opportunity to lift your eyes toward heaven and to say, I need a king in my life. I don't particularly want to sit on, the own, on my own throne. Someone higher and wiser should be there. I want to follow God. Christianity 101, right? Give me an amen. Amen. Maybe you're waking up to something today. You know, maybe you're having a little light bulb go off uh, in your head as you're listening and you're thinking, man, I've, I've been out of my mind. Uh, maybe, maybe you haven't been totally out of your mind. Maybe you've just been out of your mind in some small way about some relatively small thing. You know, maybe there's something in your life that has just driven you nuts. And you've been a little nuts about it. You have not seen it clearly. Maybe you need to understand that the Lord is speaking to you in that circumstance, even though it's incredibly aggravating. Think of the stump in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. It had been bound with iron. It had been restrained, but restrained for its own protection, uh, restrained for its own preservation. Maybe you have some sort of restrictive circumstance in your life, but the reason it's there is so that the Lord gets your attention and you can finally listen to his voice clearly. Often the Lord speaks to us in ways that are surprising in their circumstance or in their mode. This is a season in the world in which we celebrate the coming of God to earth in the form of a poor little baby born in a barn, essentially. The Lord can speak in small ways and restrictive situations just as well as he could speak uh, as a voice from heaven itself. Don't refuse to listen. Don't refuse to learn. Don't be bullheaded. The Lord is speaking to you now. Look, listen, 
Don't be stumped. There is a way forward. We're listening, God. Uh, we're listening. We're listening for the voice from heaven. Uh, we are listening to the child Jesus and all that you have said to us through him. And we are listening in our current circumstance, whether it be exalted or very lowly. We are listening in spite of how we've behaved, whether we conceive of ourselves as a king or a fool, whether we've been wicked or saintly. We're listening to your voice today. We only pray, Lord, that you would speak. Show us where the open doors are and take us forward out of our crazy seasons into blessed and fruitful ones. You never leave any of us stumped for long. And we thank you for that, Lord. We celebrate the nature of our deliverer in Jesus' name. Amen. Merry Christmas, everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning. You know, God is active. He's active in my life. He's active in your life. He's bigger than any disease, any financial problems, any guilt, any sin. And I'm so thankful for that. Every day, God is speaking. He's speaking to me and he's speaking to you. He speaks through the word of God, speaks through our prayer time, another person, and sometimes in our dreams. Just like in today's sermon, Nebuchadnezzar uh, was not a good guy, but God loved him enough to speak to him and use a person like Daniel to share what was God, on God's heart. Yeah, if today's message impacted you and you need to lay down something on God's altar, we invite you to take the opportunity now to do so. Just yesterday, God revealed something in my heart that I needed to lay down. Maybe there are parts of your heart that God doesn't have access to, similar to Nebuchadnezzar. Or maybe you know someone like Nebuchadnezzar and have been judging them. You can exchange all that for what God has. In Galatians 4.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is the inheritance we have in Christ and what it looks like when we're representing Him well. Mm. God is speaking to you today. You just need to listen and obey. And if you want to do that, I want you to contact the prayer line. And our prayer ministers will be more than happy to pray over you and give you the freedom and the full life that you deserve. Yeah, so God, we just invite you to come into our hearts. We ask you that if there's any barriers in our hearts that stand between us and you, that you would expose them so that we can lay it down on your altar, repent and give it to you so that you can fully access our hearts. And Lord, if there's any area where we don't have the fruit of the spirit, also convict us or show us where that is so that we can make that exchange. In Jesus name, amen. Amen and Merry Christmas again. Aloha, bye.